The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our latest podcast. It's okay if you haven't come off of Cloud 18 by now, because there's certainly reason. Uh, I definitely think that the home run hit by Mike Brasso, the way the Rays finished off the ALDS and moved on to the AL Championship Series, is the best franchise moment since 2008 when the Rays beat the Red Sox to go to their first and only so far World Series. Um, So we celebrate it and and enjoy it and know that on Sunday night in San Diego, the next step begins. And we're going to take a look back and forward in our latest podcast. So here's what we have for you. Um, We're going to replay an interview if you missed our our post-game show from the Rays Senior VP and GM Eric Neander. He joined us by phone from San Diego right after it happened. Um, I want to play some of uh, Mike Brasso's thoughts uh, because, again, uh, the home run, you could argue, was even the biggest home run in franchise history because of the moment and everything that led up to it. And then Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times will join us from San Diego uh, to look at uh, that evening and look forward at the challenge that the race faced in taking on the Houston Astros. And speaking of the Astros, since we do have a Tampa Bay connection, um, we'll be joined by uh, TV voice Todd Callis, and he'll give us a, a feel for how Houston has gotten to this point and uh, what he thinks are the key storylines in terms of the American League Championship Series. But let's begin with the race senior VP and GM Eric Neander. Um, and first of all, I congratulated him on an amazing moment and accomplishment for this franchise. Thank you, Neil. Really, really appreciate it. And congrats to our players and, and everybody. That was uh, about as good a game as you're going to see against as good a team as you're going to see. Can you describe what your emotions were like as uh, as you went through this game and how challenging it was for you just watching it? No. Uh, you, you accept there's nothing you can do at this point, and you watch the game, and you know, you're as much a fan as you are anything else, uh, like everybody that's watching it at home. And um, I, my guess is I went through that game the way everybody else did. And when Bross had that hit, it uh, doesn't get a whole lot more poetic than that. There's no question about that. Did you have, I mean, as he works through that at bat and continues to battle, I mean, obviously I think we're all hoping for, you know, the the Cinderella-type ending, but uh, what are you thinking and watching as he's battling his way through? Well, I mean, at, at minimum, you're you're getting chappy to work and knowing how much game could potentially be left. That in and of itself is a big deal, but getting getting closer to turn him around. He got a, he got a heater by him early that um, – was well by him, and just as the bat progressed, he uh, you know he fouled off a few tough pitches, he fouled off a few secondaries, and who would be able to turn turn one around like that? That was uh, something he's not going to forget, and I don't think any of us are going to forget. No, it was one of the biggest moments this franchise I think has had since going to the ALCS in two thousand eight. Is that fair? I, it's it's been hard to get past the DS, and uh, you know we've 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 run into the. If I'm not mistaken, the AL uh, representative in the DS every year that that we've been knocked out since '08, and to be on the other side of it and to advance, um, this was this was pretty special. And uh, again, that the, the the team on the other side, we didn't we beat a heck of a good team there, and just couldn't be more happy for our guys. And uh, yeah, as big a win as as we've had for sure. 
And the pitching. I mean, Brasso's moment, Meadows' moment, they don't happen without the pitching that you had today and the way you guys pieced this together. Yeah, that was uh, a pretty pretty remarkable job by all of them because uh, after that first inning there, Garrett Cole was as on as he's, he's ever been. Um, I don't think the he had a short rest had a whole lot of hindrance on him. And for our guys to, to go toe-to-toe with him the rest of the game, Austin get the big hit, and to, to pitch under such pressure and to count on so many guys to that had to step up and do their part, they all had to be on, and, and they all were. Was the plan all along to stay as right-handed as you could? Because obviously it worked. Yeah, I mean, you want to make sure you empty the tank on our – our righties uh, from glass to, you know, the big three out of the pen for us. And, you know, that was, that was something we discussed before the game and, you know, once, but that's, that's cashy. That's the staff. That's, that's a game where you, you can't, you can't script too much. You got to be really careful. The, the adrenaline is huge in that game. You know, how guys are feeling, what they can give you pitch counts. Um, you know, there's so, so much to read in the game. And uh, as far as how that one was carried from start to finish, that's, that's on cashy Kyle Stan. Q, the whole the whole staff and and the players for giving them honest feedback in, in situations where it's really difficult to do anything but that. So, um, you know they they deserve the credit for for navigating that game the way they did, and uh, the players for for stepping up and uh, keeping it uh, keeping them the one. I'm sure it's sweet as can be to beat the Yankees, but now you get to face in the ALCS the team that knocked you out last year. I know there's not much time to think about it, and you want to enjoy tonight. But the can you give your initial thoughts on facing Houston? Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't matter who we're facing right now. We're just glad we're facing somebody. Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, and this this season has taken everything we've had to get to this point. This series has taken everything we've had to get by New York, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna flip the page quick here. But uh, we'll be we'll be ready to go. Uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind. We got some work to do over the next 24, 36 hours to to get things in order for this series. But we're playing, and that's the most important thing. Eric, go have fun, celebrate, uh, enjoy what was a tremendous night and moment. All right. Thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. Congrats to everybody back home. That's Ray Senior VP and GM Eric Neander, certainly uh, quite humble, uh, and <laughs> you can tell the, the joy in his voice. And that goes for really everybody who spoke uh, on Friday night after the Rays edged the Yankees to move on to the ALCS. Um, and certainly nobody could be happier than Mike Brasso. And, and what I really enjoyed hearing from him is just how humble he was, um, how much he enjoyed it, uh, but also um, his perspective and his ability to just enjoy the moment with his team. Um, you know, thrilling for a guy who, remember, wasn't drafted, um, had to battle his way through, earned everything he got, and he certainly has. I don't. I don't know if there's there's any way to describe that kind of feeling. Um, it's it's something I'll never forget. Uh, just just so happy that that this team is. It, it does what we do. What we do every day. It, it's kind of the park to play. We have so much fun. We click so well together. Um, so I, I couldn't be happier to kind of keep this season going. And, and nobody here won the season to end tonight. So um, you know, happy to do my part and, and keep this team together for, for at least a little bit longer. And, and I know you, you realize we all see what we think is, you know, this theme of revenge and irony here uh, that, that you did that against Chapman. What are your, your feelings on that? 
like I said before, I, the, the revenge aspect is, is, uh, it's not a thought in my mind. Um, you know, we, we put that in the past and, and we moved on and, and we put it just straight to business. And we come, we came here as a business trip and, um, you know, we knew that we were probably going to see them this time of year and you really can't script it any better, any better. Um, you know, the battle that we've had all year with these guys to go to game five and have such an unbelievably played, well-played game, um, well-executed, um, you know, it, it, like I said, you can't script it any better. <clears throat> Mike, I know we've, we've asked, first of all, congratulations. And, and I know we've asked you a lot about you know, kind of your, your, your story and everything. I mean, four, year, four years ago, I mean, kind of doing this t- here tonight, I mean, you said you wanted to make an impact. You think this is just qualifies us? As yeah, I would, I would hope so. <laughs> I, I would hope they would think this is an impact. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to, 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 to have a team like the Rays give me a chance, like you said, four years ago when, when nobody else did, um, you know, it, it definitely makes it a little bit more special to, uh, to, to kind of help out the team like I did tonight. And, and that, and that a bad, I mean, what's kind of the, the mindset there is a temperature you had that, that slider that you kind of fought off. I mean, what was kind of the approach there? Yeah, I think after that slider, um, you know, it, it kind of got the barrel out to a little out in front. Um, I, you know, as a pitcher, you don't like to see that. And you definitely don't want to throw that pitch in the same spot again and, and have the hitter keep his hands and don't just tick more. So, um, after that slider, I was kind of more locked in on the fastball and make sure to, to see it low because he's got such incredible ride on, on his fastball. So and that's what he got me out last night on was that 3-2 high, high fastball. So um, after that happened, really zoned in on the fastball and, and like I said, keep the release point low and, and uh, you know, try to get to the barrel out in front. Hey, Mike, Mike what, do, what do national fans not know about the Rays that they're going to learn here in the next couple of weeks? We're a fun team. We're a fun team. We uh, we play the game right. We we pitch very well. Uh, they're going to see a lot of uh, high velo on the radar gun, and they're going to see a lot of good defense and timely hitting. Um, you know, we use our roster so well, uh, one through whatever you want to call. I don't even know how many people we use this year. Twenty-eight. I mean, that's how many we got for the series, but we probably use probably 40, 45 throughout the year. So um, it's the next man up mentality. Um, and uh, yeah, I think. You're going to see just a, a full roster um, competitive game every time. Well, great to hear the comments of one uh, Mike Brasso and a guy who was able to be there in person and kind of live it and has covered every raised moment, every great raised moment over the course of time is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who now joins us from San Diego. And Topper, where does uh, that game rank for you in that series? It's got to be up there, Neil. Um, a friend had texted me late last night and, and asked me, uh, was that the greatest homer in Rays history? Mm-hmm. And um, obviously you come back to Evan Longoria in game 162 is the immediate thought. And, uh, and then his, his specific question was not the moment, just was it the, you know, the most important homer ever. And it's, it's debatable. I mean, it, it's up there. Uh, you know, obviously Akinir Ramirez stepping on second base to clinch the ALCS is obviously, I, I think still the biggest moment, but no doubt, Neil, you, you take the subplot, you take the background, you take the twist, you take the significance of the moment, you take the quality of the at-bat, you take the emotion that just spilled out of those players. I mean, just seeing them come out of the dugout last night to greet Brasso, I'm surprised nobody was hurt. There were some violent collisions. I mean, Bruce Bruce Arians should have been watching some of that moves last night. I know they need some help on defense. They got some guys hurt. I mean, there was just so much to that uh, home run and what it meant. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the cop out and say it's it's up there, if not the most. Uh, for me, I think it's it's biggest Homer's second biggest moment to Aki, just because of 
Look, it's been 12 years since they've gone to the ALCS. People forget that despite all this success, they haven't advanced past the ALDS round until now since the special season in 08. Yeah, and, and that's where I, I think, you know, you have to give it some weight here. And, you know, so we could debate getting into the playoffs or not on the Longoria home run in game 162 versus advancing in the playoffs. The Brasso homer, the walk-off factor versus the bottom of the eighth inning. But, well, let's just let's just put it this way. When you if you uh, as creative of a writer and broadcaster as you are, Neil, had you sent me this yesterday and said this is how it was going to end, I would have laughed at you and said, come on, that's not how it's going to end. Brasso is not going to get up in the biggest moment of the game with Chapman on the mound and end up hitting a home run to beat him. And that's exactly what happened. And I will give you credit because you did tweet a few uh, seconds or, or a moment before that and said, wouldn't it be something if he did this? And he did. Yeah, I waited till right between innings when I saw that he was due second the next inning. But no, I would not have tweeted. I would not have said it the day of uh, in terms of before the game or the day before or anything like that. And it was amazing just how he carried himself. You know, we just played some of his his comments just to how humble um, and how appreciative and how genuine he is in the moment. I mean, for I, I don't know. For most people, I think it would be hard to be able to do that, especially with what he's gone through. Yeah, and I thought it was, uh, you know, he was asked, obviously, a number of questions, and I thought it was very telling that, you know, he, he kind of stayed in, in, you know, he stayed who he was. And, you know, this was a guy, as we know, he wasn't drafted, uh, small, played at a small college, wasn't drafted, signed for $1,000 uh, with the Rays, with really no more promise than, you know, you can go out and play today. I mean, we may not have a spot for you tomorrow, but go out and play today and, you know, we'll see if we can keep you around and built himself up into this role and and yet also has the pride to it. You know, he, he you, you see it come out. I mean, he you know, he said even last night, like, I still think of that day in 2016 when nobody wanted me. And, and I think that's driven him. He had a very good quote uh, a month or two ago, and I know I wrote about it in the Tampa Bay Times, and you talked about it on your award-winning podcast where he said, I don't just want to be known as the guy who wasn't drafted and made it to the big leagues. I want to have an impact. Well, last night, Neil, he had an impact. Yes, an incredible impact. And it doesn't happen without the pitching. And the way the Rays did this, basically saying, okay, you've got a righty-laden lineup. We're going to shove hard-throwing righties at you. We won't let any hitter see a pitcher twice. They went that way, and fortunately, everybody was able to do their job, and it worked. Yeah, and, and you know, when, they, when we first saw, I looked down at the bullpen and first saw Nick Anderson warming up, I actually had forgotten my binoculars at the hotel, and there was a guy sitting a couple seats away, and, and under COVID rules, I didn't want to borrow his binoculars, but I was like, can you look down there for me for a second and double check? Is that number 70 warming up? And it was the third inning, and I was like, okay, Cash did not lay this part of the plan out. And I thought, well, all right, he's going to use Anderson to get through an inning, maybe the next one, then we'll see Blake, and then he'll finish it off with Fairbanks or Diego. And why well, I had no idea. And, and you know, but let's, in, in polite terms, the courage, we'll say, that Cash and Kyle Snyder had to go through that, knowing that if that game, you know, Let's just say somebody threw a few more pitches than they did and Castillo didn't get through the night. Now you were going to be using whoever it was was your fourth choice to close out that game last night because you would have used Anderson, Fairbanks, and Castillo. And if that game had gone extra innings, and, and you know, yes, Blake Snell's a really good pitcher, but is Blake Snell the guy to close out 
the ninth inning or tenth inning or eleventh inning of an elimination do or die playoff game, something he's obviously never done before. You know, you, you've kind of got the B side of the bullpen. Was that going to be Aaron Loop or John Curtis or Aaron Sleegers? I mean, Charlie Morton on a, on a couple days rest, maybe. I mean, obviously he wouldn't have had the nerves, but what were they going to do if that game hadn't ended when it did? And, and the courage that the Rays had to stick to that plan, the conviction to use that plan, and obviously the execution of it by the pitchers. And I guess the flip side of that, with Chapman giving up the home run, they Britton and Chapman were their two guys, and Green had thrown, you know, what, three days already. Um, or three out of four, so they also would have been in the same spot. Um, everybody said, okay, let's use our best guns and see how it goes, and it worked for the race. Yeah, it, it was really a, an overall, um, I mean, obviously it was a team effort, but it was a, it was another race kind of win. I mean, we talked about it a couple nights ago when, when Michael Perez, you know, had one of the huge hits, and Kiermaier, who'd been, you know, obviously more of a defensive first player this season, had a big home run, and you see it last night. I mean, you you wrote if you would have written down just all the people that had a hand at that win last night, that was a pretty long list. It was. And, you know, I think it was cool in the fact that, you know, we didn't even think Austin Meadows would be back until maybe World Series if the race got that far. And then you look at the pitchers um, who produced, you know, Nick Anderson trade, um, Tyler Glass now trade. Uh, Pete Fairbanks trade and Diego Castillo. I think somebody mentioned he was signed on sixty some thousand dollars um, in in uh, the Dominican Republic, and it speaks to the front office and uh, their scouting, their player development, etc. Because you know they've been able to find guys who fit their system really well. Yeah, but you know, it, it, and this is funny, Neil, and, and I say this with respect for for our colleagues in the business. But this is nothing new. It's going to be written and talked about as mm-hmm. new this week, and even some of the things that were coming out from last night. And again, from from people that do really good jobs and are friends of mine and respect. But you know, there's going to be a lot of people jumping on the race train right now. But this isn't new. They've they've been finding. You know, maybe not Mike Brasso's per se. They've had some non-drafted free agents. Kirby Yates comes to mind and, and a couple Johnson. others. But Elliot Johnson. So, yeah, there have been some. But, you know, they, they've done this for a long time. I and mean, getting guys in trade, getting guys in trades that look like they were really lopsided for the Rays. I mean, all this has happened before. There were some some mention last night of, wow, did you know that the Rays got Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow <laughs> in the same trade? It was the greatest trade in history. And, you know, and, and again, this has been <clears throat> going back to when Stu Sternberg bought the team after the 2005 season and put Andrew Friedman and Matt Silverman in place and hired Joe Madden. And, you know, they had a plan. They had a vision. They uh, were obviously very uh, willing to be innovative. And not everything's worked, certainly. But, you know, this has kind of been what they've done for a long time. And, and now we're seeing it. And we're seeing it a, in a day with enhanced coverage and, and social media and uh, all kinds of coverage right now. But I, I think that, you know, word's going to get out. My point just being that this is nothing new, that they find value. They find players that don't fit elsewhere. They find guys that are selling their roles. They put guys in position to succeed. You know, I think some of the comments after the Yankees, you know, didn't successfully pull off the opener plan in game two were, you know, the Yankees are trying to be the Rays. And, you know, the way that works is the players have to buy in to do it. Jay Happ mm-hmm. was clearly not pleased that he, was coming in after Davey Garcia the other night for the Yankees. So if he's not buying in, you know, are there guys in that clubhouse wondering what are they doing? In the Rays clubhouse, you know, Nick Anderson said last night, we asked him, what did you think when you heard you were going to be the first, possibly be the first guy in? He's like, I had my Red Bull in the first inning, man, whatever. We got to win. We're here to win. And, and that's the attitude that the Rays players have. No doubt. 
let's try and look forward a little bit. Um, this is a, a Rays team that still probably has a little chip on its shoulder. They want to show the world that, you know, they're, they're more than just this series. They're, they want to show they're the best team in the American League. Um, the Astros have a chip because everybody says, well, you know, nobody wants you here. Uh, wh- what is uh, kind of your look at forward at the, the key storylines in the upcoming series? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of, uh, as we sit here right now talking about this, uh, delineate, you know, what is, what is the central theme to this series? What is the, the plot line here? I mean, the Rays' revenge of getting eliminated by the Astros last year is certainly a factor here. Uh, the Astros, you know, redemption tour, so to speak, after the cheating scandal is certainly a factor here. The Rays, you know, now on a higher level national stage, as we just talked about, and as Pete Fairbanks likes to remind everyone, uh, that his, his distaste for ESPN's lack of attention to the Rays. Uh, James Click, who was a, a member of the Rays front office and, and a key part for a long time, who was hired as now the general manager of the Astros. So, you know, there's that Eric Neander versus James Click angle, so to speak. And uh, I think there's a lot here. And, and I think for the Rays, you know, there's also going to be just, you know, the physical nature of playing this series now they just played five games in five days five incredibly intense games obviously last night's topping that there's no there's no turnaround time i mean they're going to skip a workout today but this series starts on sunday i mean they they went Mm -hmm. friday night and now they have to play on sunday and then play seven games in seven days uh there's no built-in off days any time in baseball history before when they've had these seven game series there have been you know two games day off three games day off uh, there's no built-in days off at all this year. As we record this, we haven't chatted with Kevin Cash. As I know that you know, later in the day he'll have, I would imagine, some sort of Zoom discussing the upcoming series. Um, what are the important roster decisions that the Rays will wait till? I'm sure the last minute for. Do they add an extra pitcher? Uh, do they add someone with length like Josh Fleming? What are the kind of things that you think they'll have to consider as they get ready for Houston? Yeah, I think going without a fifth starter in the five-game series was obviously workable, which we saw last night. I don't think you can go without a fifth starter in the seven-game series, or at least to have that option, whether the guy pitches behind an opener or not. But I think you need that fifth starter. So whether it's Josh Fleming gets added, whether it's Trevor Richards, who was actually on the roster because Oliver Drake got hurt, I do think they need that fifth-length guy uh, that may end up I also would imagine now, or I think, you know, especially with Drake out, who is one of those guys who could pitch every day, uh, they're going to have to be a little careful with how they use some of these relievers. So, you know, we were surprised they stayed at 13 pitchers for this round as they had used in the first round. I wouldn't, I would think they would go to 14 pitchers uh, for this championship series round and, and then have to drop a position player. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is what Aaron Luke didn't, did he not, he didn't pitch the whole series. So they had 13 pitchers. But with Tucker and Brantley and Reddick, I would think that the lefties will have to have some role, although Houston is a little more right-handed than lefty. Yeah, and, and you know, that's where the balance is going to be. And, again, you know, I, I'm not saying that Oliver Drake was the key to all this, but, you know, he's a guy who could pitch every day and he could face righties and lefties. And that's a valuable person to have that they're not going to have now. So they're going to have to kind of, and I'm sure they already have thought through, you know, who best to replace him. You know, is it to add, you know, Jose Alvarado and Ryan Sheriff both were throwing yesterday during batting or before batting practice, throwing the hitters. Uh, so there's two, you know, potential lefty relievers, one of whom could be added to, in, in effect, take Oliver Drake's spot. So I think those are possibilities as well uh, for the Rays as they kind of go forward. But that would be my biggest guess would be 
they would go from 13 to 14 uh, as far as pitchers. Yeah, it should be interesting. And the other piece of this that I think is going to be a storyline, and I'll touch on this with Todd Callis in a little bit, is um, the Astros are the toughest team to strike out. As we know, the Rays strike out a lot of guys, and they strike out a lot themselves. That's going to be, for me, an interesting contrast of styles in terms of the two teams. Yeah, and I don't think the Rays are going to change what they've been doing. So it'll be a question of what kind of discipline do the Astros have uh, and as the Rays kind of go with their strength, which is going to be to strike out as many guys as they can. Mark, really good stuff. Uh, We'll be uh, reading all your work in San Diego, and uh, I hope to actually see you in Arlington. We'll we'll see if the Rays can make it to the next round. Neil, if that's not incentive enough for the Rays players and staff to know that you'll be there in Arlington if they get to the World Series, I don't know what is. Well, we certainly appreciate the time from uh, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, and we go from San Diego to the state of Texas, and... Uh, an old friend joining us, uh, who, of course, is the TV voice of the Astros uh, and a longtime member of the Rays broadcast team and Todd Callis. TK, thanks very much for some time. Appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to it, Neil. This is about as good as it gets for me for an ALCS. I'm very excited. Let's look at it from a, an Astros perspective. How were they able to get here? I don't think anyone's surprised from a talent perspective if this were a 162-game season. But Houston didn't play very well record-wise in the regular season, and now they've almost run the table here in the postseason. Yeah, it's been a crazy turnaround. And you always wonder whether you can flip a switch once the playoffs start. And this offense has flipped a switch. I mean, there was a a sign here or there. They had a big offensive outburst in the first game against Texas last series of the season. But there was no consistency. So you never saw the team put together an offensive run like we have seen in this postseason, especially what they did in Oakland. So uh, 29 and 31 is what it is. Uh, but they've beaten two of the three teams in the American League that finished with a winning percentage of 600 or better. Uh, both Minnesota and Oakland finished exactly at 600. Of course, you know who had the best record. So we'll see if that trend continues. But they have certainly opened some eyes. They have the pedigree. They have the background. They've done in the playoffs before. Uh, they kind of were sleepwalking through the regular season, but they have picked it up in the postseason. And is it fair to say they're embracing kind of that bad guy persona? Um, almost like a, a wrestling character where, okay, you guys don't want us here. We'll show you. They're playing with a really big chip on their shoulder, kind of like the Rays, but in a different way. Um, you know what? That seems to be the narrative uh, across the board on the national level. I, I don't think it's as big a deal as people think it is on the national level. Mm-hmm. Uh, conversely, I think that maybe that's one of the reasons why they struggled during the regular season. I think they did play uh, with a degree of guilt and shame uh, based on all the things that came out about 2017. So um, I, I just think they're a talented group that happens to be getting hot at the right time. Um, the chip on the shoulder thing is a, is a good storyline. It fits the narrative for what the national media mm-hmm. wants, but I'm not sure if it's as big a motivator as people on the outside think. How about the fact that there are some guys who this is their last run potentially? I don't know how many of the free agents are going to be able to resign. There's a few guys in this group, what, Guriel, Springer, Reddick, who this may be their last games with the Astros. Yeah, that's the thing. Talk about a motivator. That's the thing that surprised me during the regular season when they weren't playing better is because I I kept thinking to myself and kept saying out loud, even on the the broadcast, like, this is the last run. Uh, There's no way Reddick, Springer, and Brantley all come back next year as free agents. Kyle Tucker is going to be a starting outfielder somewhere in 2021. Yuli Gurriel did sign right uh, before that Minnesota series. But of those three outfielders, right. there's a there's a very good chance 
that they will all not be back. So I kept thinking, where is this passion? Where is this? Hey, this is our last time together, guys. Let's make let's make this our best season ever. Well, it took them until the postseason to figure it out. So uh, 60 games uh, does not a season make unless it's 2020. And uh, the Astros were lucky to get in with a, with a, the worst record in the American League. But it all has worked out for them since they've gotten there. It certainly has. Um, you mentioned Tucker. He's been one of your better offensive players in the regular season. But the other guys, the, the Springers, etc., have been your postseason stars, Correa. Yeah, Springer Correa have hit the home runs. They have driven in the runs. Altuve started to light it up a little bit. Bregman's had better at-bats. Brantley is the smoothest hitter I've ever seen. Even when he was with Cleveland, I hated him as an opponent. Now I love him uh, with the Astros. He's he, he just Mr. Consistency. Uh, but Tucker, for me, is a guy that even though he's not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, he's getting a lot of base hits. He hit about 400 in that series uh, against the Oakland A's. And he's a guy who hits lefties equally as well as righties. So um, you're going to see Tucker somewhere in the middle of that lineup, whether it's five or six, depending on the matchup. Uh, but, yeah, it's other guys getting hot. George carried the team in the beginning of that series at Dodger Stadium against the A's, and then others, including Correa, kind of have carried them uh, the entire way. Give me your feel for how the Astros have done this pitching-wise, because when they lost Verlander, and they even had Greinke, you know, was questionable going into game four, a lot were wondering, okay, they can hit, but are they going to be able to pitch enough to keep going? Yeah, that to me is the biggest question mark for this upcoming series. The seven games in seven days is going to test uh, a pitching staff to its fullest. It's never happened before. So uh, I, I think that's where the Rays get the advantage in this series is because they have the depth in pitching and the Astros do not. But they have been able to mix and match. Framber Valdez has come out of the, um, you know, he was a fourth, fifth, maybe even a sixth starter last year once Jose Arquiti uh, got to the scene. And, and here he is, probably their most consistent guy who goes deeper into games than any of their five starters. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. coming off Tommy John surgery was really good at the end of the regular season. So you'll probably see Lance Fromber, Fromber Lance, the first two games. And I would think Zach Greinke slots into game three. After that, Jose Arquiti, who was a World Series star last year uh, in game four against the Washington Nationals, will probably be that four starter. And beyond that, Christian Javier had been that five starter, but he's been working it out of the bullpen. So they'll probably have to allow him to work out of the bullpen early in the series, then get ready for a game five starts, assuming it gets there. Uh, the question mark to me is how many arms does Dusty Baker have that he truly trusts in that bullpen? I think from the right side, he's gone with Anoli Paredes and he's gone with the closer, Ryan Presley. From the left side, he likes Brooks Raley and Blake Taylor. A lot of those guys didn't have any experience above double A before this year, at least in Parade's case and in in um, Blake Taylor's case. But uh, Brooks Raley's a guy who was five years in Korea, and now he's done a nice job. So inexperience at the, at the relief end of things for the Astros is going to be something that the, the Tampa Bay Rays, I think, have the advantage on. But they, that's how they've kind of pieced it together. There's other guys, Josh James and Andre Scrub. Uh, they throw hard. It sometimes commands an issue and the, in the postseason. You, you'd like to see guys to throw strikes, but I think that Dusty's going to have to call on all of his arms in the postseason for sure. Do you, more than likely, you know, you're going to see a game five. Do you think this is an Astros team that actually goes with a true fifth starter, or are they going to try and bullpen a game? I, it depends how they use Christian Javier. So if you see Javier pitch in game one and then he's back in the bullpen for game three, then I think they're going to try and go to a bullpen day. I have no idea what they were going to do if the A's came back in game four, because they had used Javier at that point. Uh, they had already used Greinke. You probably don't want Lance McCullers Jr. to come back on three days rest coming off Tommy John surgery. 
And other than Tyler Glass now, hardly anybody comes back on two days rest. So Mm -hmm. uh, to answer your question, I don't know uh, what they do for a game five. It all depends on the usage of Christian Javier along the way. You know, we go back to the beginning of the season and uh, way back when, when James Click became the GM of the Houston Astros and everything went down uh, and left the race organization. And now, and I thought it was a really interesting contrast that he was working with Dusty Baker. How has that dynamic worked during the course of the year? And how much do you think is made of James Click, Eric Neander, Ray's Astros in this upcoming series? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, you, you, three of the four teams remaining are Click, Neander, and Andrew Friedman. So that's a pretty cool mm-hmm. uh, tip of the cap to what the Rays have built over the years in terms of front office uh, NGM. So uh, in terms of what James and Dusty are like, I wish I could give you more insight, but I only know basically from afar in Zoom calls what I know. Um, and, and it seems like it's working out well. It's kind of old school, new, new school mixing together. I think Dusty sometimes uh, gets a bad rap for not being his new school. I think he does embrace analytics more than people think. But I obviously, James clicks on a whole nother level in terms of, of what's important and what's not. You know, Dusty still has his his trends. He still kind of favors uh, uh, veteran guys over young guys. He still kind of lets pitchers go, starters go. I think you'll see uh, in this series, he very rarely gets a guy warming up unless uh, he's going to come into a game. So you don't usually see double-barrel bullpen action. Obviously, if he needs to, if it's late in the game in a critical spot, you'll see lefty-righty warming up just in case. But for the most part, it's one guy at a time, and when he's warming up, he's coming in. So uh, they, they blended well. I mean, you could say it didn't work out in the regular season, but the, uh, the proof is what's happened here in the postseason. I mean, this is a team now, a one-of-four standing. So for Click and Dusty Baker to join an organization at the last minute, Dusty was kind of learning the team on the fly. Same with James, even though, you know, James did a lot of work against the Astros last year when the race faced them in the uh, in the ALDS. So uh, they were still kind of learning this team on the fly in spring training. And for them to get to this point, is pretty incredible. Do you, you know, the Rays obviously use glass now on short rest. Do you think there's any pitcher the Astros would use on short rest in a starting role? Coming off Tommy John surgery, I don't think it's Lance McCullers Jr. Uh, just based on the arm stroke, I think, Jose Arquiti might be that guy, but I don't know if he's going to pitch until game four. Um, so maybe Arquiti, Fromber would be the other possibility because he's younger. I don't see Zach Greinke doing it. I don't see Lance doing it. So uh, that would be a tough ask unless it's a young guy only for a couple of innings. And Todd, what, um, what I find interesting is the contrast in styles. The Astros as a lineup were the toughest team to strike out. The Rays pitchers do strike out a lot of guys and their hitters strike out a lot. So you really have kind of the yin and yang of, of baseball right now with two teams getting to a point with different ways of getting there. No, that's a good point. And, and uh, something I hadn't thought about before we talked right before we did this. Uh, yeah, I think the Astros are by far the elite team in terms of putting the ball in play. And they put the ball in play with power. Uh, a lot of that was intentional. I mean, they picked up Michael Brantley. They picked up Josh Reddick. They picked up guys who don't strike out much to go along with the Alex Bregmans of the world who – uh, walk more than they strike out the last few years. So, uh, yeah, they put the ball in play for the most part. Occasionally, you'll get a strikeout from the top and the bottom of the order with Springer and Maldonado. Uh, but that middle of the order, two through eight, they're, they're guys who put the ball in play and put the ball in play with damage a lot, too. And so, as you see it, Todd, what do you think are the most important things to watch for in this series for, for either team to end out on top? I think seven games in seven days benefits the deeper bullpen. And I think the deeper bullpen definitely rests with the Tampa Bay Rays. Having said that, I definitely felt like the biggest difference between the two teams 
Oakland and Houston Astros last series was the bullpens. Oakland had the best bullpen in baseball all year. Uh, the problem for the A's was they didn't have starters that got them deep enough. So they had to use relievers a lot earlier than they were comfortable with. Uh, sometimes it worked out. Sometimes it didn't. I, I do think Tampa Bay with Snell and Morton and Glass now uh, will be able to take the ball deeper than the A's starters did. So that to me is a big key. And if this Astros offense stays as hot as they have been in the last series, uh, then you're going to see a team try and outslug the other team. I don't think the Astros are going to win many 3-2 games. I think they're going to have to win, you know, 7-4 and 8-5 and kind of games. And, and obviously the Rays are a team that can shut them down offensively if their pitchers are right. So I, I'm really looking forward to this series. I couldn't imagine it being any uh, more perfect scenario for myself. Uh, I will be less stressed in this series than maybe any other Astros playoff series because I know if the Astros don't, uh, make it to the World Series, at least the team that does is one that I spent a lot of years and still have a lot of good friends over there. So I won't feel bad, quite as bad for sure. Well, TK, we certainly appreciate the time. We wish we were doing this in person, but uh, very uh, excited to have you on the podcast and uh, uh, great to hear your voice. Always good talking to you, Neil, and uh, looking forward to game one. Great stuff from Todd Callis uh, joining us to talk about the Houston Astros and the next step for the Rays, and we certainly appreciate him. And all of our guests on the podcast today, Mark Topkin of the Times, uh, Eric Neander, and certainly appreciate the chance to play some of those comments from Mike Brasso. Um, you can continue to follow our blog, raysradio.mlblogs.com, for the latest in terms of roster decisions the Rays make. Uh, we know, again, that Blake Snow will start game one. Uh, roster decisions made by the other side, too, and how they may impact the Rays. And, of course, our coverage of uh, the ALCS begins at 7 p.m., on Sunday. So enjoy that. Uh, continue to uh, bask in the glory of a great Rays win, and uh, we certainly will chat with you on Sunday night. <laughs>